Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. You can have what you want, really. You ask how? My friend Susan Hyatt is back and in this interview talks about how. Stop living your Eeyore life and start living a Tigger life. I have known Susan for a long time and watched her create a life that she wanted and change the trajectory of her own life. If this is possible for her, what is possible for you? Susan, hello and welcome back. Hi, Corinne. Thanks for having me back. I always love to be interviewed by you, mostly because you have the sexiest voice on radio. (laughs) Well, thank you. Isn't that funny from a girl who hated to remember when you were a kid and you would I used to tape record stuff and listen to my own voice and I hated it. And mm-hmm. I now I do like my voice, but it's interesting how you never know what will, what will transpire in your life. Oh my gosh, no kidding. I, I'm often asking people, you know, what were they shamed for as a child or would they get in a lot of trouble for? And and almost always that's their superpower for what is going to either help them get what they want or has helped them already get what they want. And it's just kind of amazing how that works. So, so Susan, you're the author of Create Your Own Luck, and you've been featured in O Magazine, and you were a speaker at the OU conference. And, um, but you weren't, you hadn't always started out this way. And um, what is your superpower that has allowed you to create this life that you currently have? question. Yeah, you know, I I have always been a little crazy, but you're right. I haven't always um, had a life that I would consider, you know, so lucky. And the superpowers that it was a couple of months ago, maybe it was like six months ago, I posted on Facebook the picture of the back of my third grade report card. And my third grade teacher, bless her heart, um, basically said that she was very concerned about my future <laughs> because <laughs> I talked too much, was disrespectful to authority, and was always busy visiting with people rather than doing my work. And it was really quite interesting because I had all A's and B's on the inside for the academic portion, but she was very concerned about my disrespectful nature. And I will say that that those are my superpowers, that I'm genuinely interested in other people, that I love to talk, and that I am pretty disrespectful when it comes to the status quo. And that has helped me create a life that I love as opposed to what I was doing, which was living according to what other people thought I should be doing, the quote-unquote American dream, and the whole rat race mentality. Mm -hmm. Because you were successful in your previous career as a real estate agent, correct? Yeah. I mean, I have reinvented myself a couple of times, but I was a residential realtor, and I was very successful at it. Um, It's a great example of just because you're really good at something doesn't mean that you need to be doing it, that that's where your soul and passion lies. And so, yeah, I mean, my, I was a hard worker, overachiever. 
Um, and I had to relearn how to really do life because I found myself in this position of having what looked like on the outside a great life. And it was a great life, but it wasn't the right life for me. I was um, making a lot of money and had, and still have, two beautiful children and a great husband and, and all the extras, but I was crying in my office in the fetal position, and I was hitting the snooze button on my alarm clock 10 times because I didn't want to get out of bed. And I, I couldn't quite figure out at that time what, what was wrong and what wasn't fitting. And it was that I was not really being true to who I was and living according to expectations rather than inspiration. What were the expectations you were living at? Well, of course they were self-imposed. So, so the messaging that you go to school and get good grades and you graduate from college and you get a good job and you work as hard as you can and make as much money as you can um, and advance that corporate ladder so that you can buy a big house and nice cars and things and, um, you know, that, that you can have fun later. You know, <laughs> you can um, do all the stuff you want to do when you retire. And so it's that, that mentality of achievement rather than being present and enjoying life. So it was suffer now and you can later on enjoy life. Yes. Yeah, isn't that crazy how we do that? Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, go work, which these rules don't even apply anymore, but go work for a company for 50 years, get your gold watch, mm -hmm. and then you can go rent an RV. <laughs> go do all that. Which please don't, but, you know, that's, that's kind of how we have set things up in the United States, especially. So for those, for those listeners out there that are struggling with this, okay, well, this worked for Susan Hyatt, but maybe she's the golden child, right? Or the other, the, so what do you say to that? Let's start with that. Well, that's the whole reason I wrote my book, Create Your Own Luck. Because what I found was that even when I was miserable, people would say, they didn't know that, but they would say, oh, you guys are just so lucky. You know, you're just so lucky and things just seem to work out for you. And it's really easy to look at someone else from the outside and make judgments about things. And the truth of the matter is that no one is chosen. <laughs> no, we're all chosen and, and no one is given, certainly we're born into certain circumstances, different life circumstances, but everybody has the ability to create what they want. It is a, a total falsehood that, you know, I somehow just lucked up in certain categories and that's why I'm able to have this amazing life. I mean, I just spent time with someone recently who uh, is a celebrity who has just ungodly amounts of money and amazing good looks and as smart as a whip, every advantage, every single advantage you would say this person has been given and yet they are not happy. So it's not about 
that. It's not about um, who has what and somebody is more talented than the other. Every single human being can figure out what it is they crave and what they want and can get to manifesting and creating that for themselves. So when you talk about figure out what they crave and what they want, what do you recommend? Do you recommend big steps or small steps? I recommend small steps and I recommend easy steps and probably the easiest way to start figuring out what you want is to go spend some time on Facebook. (laughs) Go troll your friends pages on Facebook and notice what you're envious of. Oh my gosh. She's in Italy or, Oh my God, he has a six pack. Or, oh my gosh, you know, I wish I had a loving relationship like that with my daughter or whatever it is. Start keeping track because it's so much easier for whatever reason for human beings to pay attention to what ticks them off or makes them jealous. Mm -hmm. So that's where I like to start with people because it's so easy. Pay attention to that because what that really is, I think that jealousy is just admiration that's been hijacked. So... It's, it's almost like that your inner self saying, hey, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, that is meant for you in some way, shape, or form. The reason you're jealous of that is because you're capable of creating that. Ooh, so that's like a little inner whisper that we have. Yes, totally. Like, I'm not jealous of the Seattle Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. Like, I can't football like it doesn't even <laughs> register to me right <laughs> like I'm not I don't want to be an NFL star I'm not jealous of that success but there might be other things I see where the little green monster is like oh I have an example actually of um of how I would see my friends in the Pacific Northwest or in New England lounging at these amazing farm-to-table dinners. I was like, dang it, I live in Indiana, which is farm country, and we're not doing any farm-to-table business around here. And I would started to notice that I was like, Susan, if you want to have a farm-to-table dinner, then you have one. Don't wait for someone else in the area to have one. And so that's a little example, but that's what I did. I paid attention to my reaction to, like, my friends in Seattle. What what the hell? Look at them in the middle of this beautiful field eating this farm-to-table food. I want to do that. Okay. Go create that. So instead of having a little pity party for yourself, you went and created it. Yeah, well, I had a five-minute pity party. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I started to, like, hey, Miss Create What You Crave, do you think you could find a chef and farmer mar- farmer's market? I mean, we have that all here. Let's just coordinate it. But, mo- but people kind of get stuck in the mode of, oh, they get to do that there, and I don't get to do that here instead of figuring out how to be resourceful and create it. Well, isn't that also because they have this armor against being vulnerable and putting themselves out there? Oh my gosh, totally. Um, And you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. Vulnerability is kind of the new black. It's on everybody, you know, because of the amazing Brene Brown, we're now having these terrific conversations about what does it mean to be vulnerable? And 
And for me, what's interesting as a coach is to pay – I really think the number one indicator for success is someone's ability to be vulnerable and risk their ego. Because without that, you're not going to put yourself out there and not in the same way. You know, my former self, I used to, for example, only do things that I already knew I was going to be good at Mm. because I wasn't willing to risk my ego and look stupid or silly or not look perfect. And so what that did was it shrank my life and it limited me ridiculously. And so once I learned how to be able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, the whole sky opened up for me. So how do you get yourself in that place where in the farm to table event is perfect, right? You decide I'm going to create this. I'm going to have people sign up for it. You put it out there. And then there's that moment of, will somebody sign up? What do you do as you're going through your own risking of being vulnerable? I'm sorry, what was that last part? What do I do to what? To risk being vulnerable, to go into, to allow yourself to go into that vulnerability. There's a lot of self-coaching that happens. So one of my favorite questions is, what's the worst thing that, that could happen? Okay, no one would sign up. So with the farm to table thing, it's okay. It's never been done before in this area. I live in a, in a pretty medium to smallish size um, Midwestern town. And, um, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe the reason no one's ever done one here is because people here aren't going to be interested in that. And what if no one comes and all this stuff? And what's the worst thing that could happen? And, and honestly, I, I arrived at the worst thing that could happen is that I throw one hell of a party for all my friends <laughs> and I pay for the whole thing. Um, and, but there's something about, there's something magical that happens when you're willing to click send or click publish or say out loud in a room full of people what you really wish and hope for, um, then all of a sudden you, you line up with that goal and things start working in your favor. So for me, I coach myself around what do I think the worst thing is that could happen here? What do I think the best thing? What's the best possible? What's my highest intention here? And focus on the process of it instead of the outcome. Mm. Because it's really about who you become as a person if you can enjoy the building of it as much as you imagine you'd enjoy the thing. I think that is really, really important because so often we expect it's that outcome that so many people grasp towards thinking that's what's going to change them instead of noticing this process and who are they becoming and where do they end up, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that the work that I do with clients is constantly around enjoy the adventure of the build, okay, because this is where it is, right here. This is all you have, and we think that whatever our goal is, so, you know, I'm imagining that this farm-to-table dinner is going to be just the most delightful, entertaining evening of my life, you know, and I have 
I want to do it because I imagine how it's going to make me feel once mm -hmm. I'm there. Mm -hmm. But if I can say, okay, how am I going to feel there? And can I try to feel that way while I'm planning it? Because honestly, it, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or read any research on this, Corinne, but it's really interesting is that there are lots of personality types who enjoy the anticipation of something as much as or more so than the thing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I enjoy the planning and the anticipation of a vacation almost more than I enjoy the actual <laughs> vacation. I get on the vacation and I'm like, well, this is great and all, but... You know, I had a lot of fun planning it, too. So it's helping people get into that mindset that the actual goal isn't really going to help you feel. I mean, I've had the opposite happen, too, where I was convinced once I got there, then, then everything was going to be roses. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that way either. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't wait for reaching the goal to then you'll be there. Then you'll have arrived. Nope. You'll be the same person once you get there. Well, the way I look at that is when you achieve that goal, like if you think I'm going to have this goal and I'll be happy, but you haven't been practicing happy and you've achieved that goal, you don't know how to be happy because you haven't been practicing it. So right. it's about practicing it along the way. And then once you get the goal, you've already been practicing happy and maybe you become a little bit happier or whatever, because you've just been practicing being happy. Yep. So it sounds like it's really important to first go through like our fears. What's the worst thing that can happen, right? And then you go, you get down to, okay, the worst thing is I throw this great big party for my friends and we have a great time, right? If that's mm -hmm. the worst thing, then it's like, okay, now you've cleared out kind of the clutter there, the mental clutter there. And then you can look at what would be the best thing possible? What's my highest intention? Yeah, that's, that's fun to me. And how do you not get graspy there where you become outcome focused? Because you are in that, okay, what's the best thing? You know, you're in that dreaming and scheming mode. But how do you not grasp onto that and focus on the process? The way that I like to do it is I like to think about what we were just talking about. How do I imagine I will feel once the goal is met? And then how can I go ahead and drum up that feeling state for myself now so that I'm not so much relying on the goal to complete me? And, of course, I, like, I am shooting a TV show tomorrow, um, the pilot episode of a TV show, and, and I have high goals and intentions for that TV show. But... I know that if I get marred down in that, it's going to completely block the creative process and screw it all up because I've done that a million times. So it's more bringing myself back to what's my highest intention for the show, which is to entertain people while they're inspired and uplifted. And then how can I ensure that I'm living that to give it right now? And so I'm constantly coaching myself when I find myself thinking, oh, you know, oh my God, it's tomorrow and, and it's got to go well because I've had those thoughts. I, I self-coach my thoughts and bring myself back to, you know, you know what? It's, you just have to be you. 
You just have to do your thing and let whatever's supposed to flow through you flow through you. So for me, it's all about thought work. Mm -hmm. And so what is with this show that you're starting? What is, what's your why? Oh my gosh. My why is that, okay, it's the format of the show. It's called Life is Delicious TV and it's part reality life coaching TV show, part entertainment. And I have been approached by TV producers four times. And a couple of those times I got all the way to contract signing and the producers have always had the highest of intentions with putting a a life coaching show together. Um, However, when network executives get involved, what they want to do is ensure sensationalized television, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ensure ratings. And so one time we got down to contract signing and they wanted me to hire actors Mm -hmm. as clients. And so for me, and I walked away, for me, the why is that I want to show others what can happen in human transformation. I want people to be able to see real life people struggling with real life issues and how they can create what they want. So there's a ton of different show topic ideas The very first show that we're shooting tomorrow is with a client who has recently gone through a divorce within the past couple months, started a brand new company, and has rehabbed a house. So she has a lot of change going on in her life, but the core issue is really around how to she's a workaholic or has been a workaholic. So how to build this company in a way that's kind to herself so that she doesn't fall back into her all work, no play tendencies. But I want people to be able to see that and see it for real, not some made up TV version, Mm -hmm. but actually track the process of what can happen in someone's life and what's possible if you're committed to change. So will you be showing the messy as well as the, the highlights? Yes. Now, I am not hiring crews to follow her around for, you know, months on end. But what we're going to show is the, there's going to be different segments of each show episode. But we're going to film a coaching session and we're going to edit it down. And then we're going to track her. And so in future episodes, there will, all, there will be an update for, about, hey, remember Sally? Remember when, you know, here was her homework assignment and here's what she's doing now. So, yes, it's not going to be this sort of fairy tale production. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, here's what really happens when you lose your shit. Here's what really happens when someone goes through a divorce, renovates a house and starts their own company. So for the listeners out there, don't worry. I will have a link to Susan's Life is Dis- Delicious TV show on her podcast page on my website. Um, so Susan, the question now goes to, so often people, when they get almost what they want, right, they'll just say, look, here's a contract. Here's what somebody wants. This is close enough. And there's money behind it versus the unknown and the uncertainty. 
how do you walk away from the un and, and walk towards the unknown and uncertainty? It takes some time of building the muscle of, I think, being comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and trusting the unknown sometimes takes such extraordinary faith that it can feel overwhelming. And so, honest to goodness, one of my favorite things about life is that we don't know. I mean, we don't know. I am constantly in my own life shocked and surprised of the things I thought I knew that now I don't know. And how if we're, if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough, how we can allow life to surprise us and be okay with that. So all the control freaks who are listening are like, no, <laughs> don't make me do it. Um, but if you haven't noticed, you can't control stuff. You can't control the weather. You can't control other people. You can't control the stock market. You can't control the economy. You cannot control your boss. And so for me, it has been a constant dedication to being super resourceful and creative with what's happening at any given moment. And so there's skills that need to be learned or unlearned, but I feel like helping clients or your listeners learn how to be resourceful, be willing to take risks, um, and be willing to be wrong. My whole life up until about 32 was tell me how I'm right. I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right and you're wrong. And I think most people kind of operate that way. We want to be right. Mm -hmm. And with your own life, You know, you and with others, you think you know what's best and you think you know. And what I think so cool about being human is that we're constantly shown that we may not have all the answers and that's okay. We're just kind of riding this wave of change. And so I think those things, being willing to be wrong, being willing to take risks, And learning how to be resourceful can help loosen your grip on needing to know. I can't tell you how much I coach on people needing to know the answer. Mm -hmm. I need to know if I'm going to get this job. I need to know if I'm going to make money. I need to know if he's the one. And it's like, you know what? Why don't you get quiet for a little while? (laughs) And you might hear some answers. Well, because I need to know that can make someone graspy, right? That can make someone to say, I'm going to step out of integrity with myself and I'm going to sign this contract because maybe this is as good as it gets. Yeah. For me, as, as you're talking about this, that seems to be one of the things that gets in the way of creating what you want. Mm-hmm. Because you have this, I need to know, I need to know if I do this, then I will get this. 
and then I can really have what I want. But it's about letting go of the needing to know and having mm-hmm. tremendous faith. Mm-hmm. And, and something that I learned, I think it was from Jack Canfield, um, a book of his that I read. But, but there's a phrase, when I set an intention or do a vision board or set goals or whatever, I always say, I'd love this or something better. Because what I have found is that sometimes my narrow mind cannot even conceive of what really is possible for my life. And that's because we get so stuck in what we, like what the way things have always been, or maybe we've not been exposed to everything that's possible. So we've been exposed to maybe a limited amount of choices and and so I have learned this over and over and over again with myself. I'm constantly shocked at how much I don't know exists in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, people will t- email me their job and I'm like, that exists? <laughs> There's somebody who does that? I had no idea. There's, there's always a solution or an answer or information that we do not know exists in the world. And so I think that that can also be helpful. Like, I have no idea how this is going to work, but I am convinced that somehow in the universe there's a solution. So for your clients who have tremendous doubt, how do you get them to go to this when they have that graspy, it's either going to be this or something worse? So how do you get them to turn that around? Well, it, it for sure, it takes a whole lot of thought work. It takes a whole lot of um, taking a look at what all the, the, the really, uh, like, creepy, agonizing, despair-ridden thoughts are. And, and first, like, purging, the, putting those out on paper or saying them out loud and knowing what it is you're really telling yourself. Because I think most of the time people are shocked at what's going on in their minds. They, they really aren't conscious to it. It's just a tape that has played in their mind mm-hmm. for so long that when they say it out loud or they send an email where they're detailing out how crappy their thinking is, I think most of the time, I know I was, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, I wouldn't say that to my worst enemy. So it starts with becoming aware of what it is you're really saying and then challenging those thoughts. And so someone really honest to goodness cannot go from everything's going to suck and it's going to be worse than this to I have complete confidence that there's a solution (laughs) in the universe. (laughs) It's like that's too far of a leap. But you can start with baby steps. And my favorite question to ask a client who's really stuck in some thinking like that is, are you open to the possibility that there might be something better out there? And can you think of anybody that you know who has risen above what you're going through, whether in your actual sphere of influence or someone in the media? that has survived a divorce or who has reinvented their career and, and help them build some evidence 
And then from that place, you can move along. And, and I typically give clients little homework assignments where they have to go out into the real world and try some things to help them build evidence that, hey, there might be something else out here for me. I think that's great. And, and that's a really important fact that you had said was it's maybe too big of a jump. But I love that question because, you know, that's when I, one of the things that this place is, it's the place where inspiration and possibility meet, right? So when you ask mm-hmm. that question, are you open to the possibility that there might be something better? Just that little bit of opening can start mm-hmm. to open up that brain, can't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so going, I want to go back to this farm uh, to table dinner party that you wanted to have. So you got yourself vulnerable. You're willing to take risks. You do, you know, you figure out what's the worst thing that can happen. What's the best thing that can happen. And you focus on the process and that, that vulnerability piece. Have you, how, how long was, were you able to do that say 10 years ago? Because weren't you more, um, concerned about controlling the outcome of things? Oh my gosh. 10 years ago, I was 30 and I was selling real estate. Um, and I was definitely in high overachiever workaholic mode. Um, and so no, I was all about controlling what was happening with muscle. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to control everybody and everything around me. So at that point in my life, I was willing to try things because I was willing to dive into that career. Um, but I wasn't necessarily willing to be super vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I had like my red real estate power suit. and I had my Blackberry and, um, you know, I wasn't people, I was not letting people in to see what was really happening with me. Very few people in my life knew what was going on internally with me. And so because I was so unwilling, uh, to let people in and be vulnerable, I got to the point where I, honest to goodness, I was depressed. I was um, not listening to my therapist. I was, you know, really at a breaking point where I had no hobbies. I didn't really do much for fun other than spend time with my kids and my husband and, you know, was just racked with, this, these golden handcuffs and feeling like, why is everybody else living and being happy? And I have all this stuff to be grateful for and I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I really feel like life forced me to become vulnerable because it was either become vulnerable. It was either break open or break down, honestly. <laughs> so, so it, you, there were so many walls that you either had to go through those walls or you were going to just forever be, I guess, buried in those walls. Yes. And so, and so how did you start? 
I guess trusting because uh, Brene Brown, she's been a show, get frequent guest on the show, but she's talked about, you know, vulnerability is earned, right? And did you take small steps into vulnerability? And what, like, could you give some examples of what they looked like? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yes, I took small steps into vulnerability. So, so probably the first step was actually admitting to another human being that things were not as they seemed. Mm. So it was my mom and she was visiting for Easter and I, I mean, I had promised her I wouldn't work while she was visiting and then I did and she called me out and said, like, what's happened to you? And she was the first person other than my husband that I really said, you know what, I'm, I don't know what to do. I, I do not know what to do. I make all this money and I hate it. And I cannot see how I can leave this job, this career, this business that I've built and do anything else. I was that kind of mired down into black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step is admitting it to yourself and then finding one compassionate witness that you can share with and start saying and owning how you really feel. I mean, that's being vulnerable, mm -hmm. admitting. And, and then I think from there, after you've admitted it, to, to really allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to say, and here's what I think would be better. Here's what I think would better suit me. Or here's, you know, I'm going to start researching on the internet or taking these tiny little turtle steps towards how to get myself out of this, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then from that place, admitting it to yourself, admitting it to one compassionate witness, starting to look around at possibly what else is possible, then challenging yourself to do something about it. Now, before you're ready to do that, something I have almost all my clients do is engage in something that has nothing to do with the problem that feels risky to you. So, for example, something that I'm doing for exercise right now that scares the crap out of me is a form of exercise called CrossFit. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with CrossFit, Corinne. Okay, so... I'm not kidding you. I used to see people at the CrossFit gym and I would be like, those people have lost their ever loving minds. And I challenged myself to do it because it scares me. I know enough about myself now to know that when something really scares me, it means I should do it. And so it scared the crap out of me. So that is my practice in vulnerability. CrossFit, I promise you, because I show up, I promise you I'm the weakest link there. Like I am not badass at CrossFit. I look ridiculous. I, you know, it takes me a long time to be able to do what they're teaching us to do. And so it's a place where I show up, I'm sucking at it. I need a lot of help. So I'm having to ask for help. I am not the expert. I am not looking good. And it, it is a practice and vulnerability. So I ask my clients to identify something 
that's not related to their problem, where they can do something risky or that helps them, you know, be in that place of vulnerability so that they can build up that muscle of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. So here's the thing is that by going to CrossFit, it has totally served me in my other parts of my life. It seems so crazy, but it's true. Like I'm building the muscle of vulnerability. So I'm much more open in with my husband. I'm much more compassionate with my children. I'm much, I'm making more money. And it's because it's a practice in vulnerability. So like finding that thing, whether it's like, I'm going to go learn how to belly dance, or I'm going to finally take that painting class, or I'm going to pick up my camera and ask to take pictures of people, whatever. But have pick out something you can do that helps you practice being vulnerable that does not relate to your current problem. Well, and that goes back to kind of like what you were talking about with letting go of the outcomes, right? It's it's mm-hmm. letting go of this transactional mindset that we have of, well, how is doing CrossFit going to make me a better entrepreneur? And, mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. of the things I think about, like, you know, again, your 30-year-old self, would she have gone and done CrossFit or would she have considered it a waste of time? Oh, my gosh. She would have considered it a complete waste of time. There's no way. My 30-year-old self, there is no way. Because she would have said, I'm not going to be good at that. So why would I show up for that? I'm not going to look good doing that. I'm going to look ridiculous. I'm not going to that. Are you crazy? It's going to get in the way of me making some sales and making Oh, my money. God, yeah. And I don't have time. Are you kidding? People who do that, my mindset at 30 <laughs> was that people who take care of their bodies are shallow. <laughs> and I have more important things to do in the world. <laughs> cracks my ass up. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's a really important point for the listeners out there because we get into this transactional mindset or, you know, this outcome driven instead of realizing that, look, Susan's done CrossFit. It's made her relationship with her husband better. She's become more vulnerable. She's more compassionate with her kids. And the other side, the benefit that's happened was she's making more money in her business. And who would have thought from going to CrossFit? I know, right? It's crazy town. (laughs) And speaking of money, so, you know, sometimes people have this black and white thing of, well, the only way, if I'm making a lot of money here, doing something I hate, if I go and do something I love, then I have to give up the money that I made before. True or false? Mm -hmm. False. (laughs) (laughs) False. If you, here's what I like to say. If you are making so much money doing something you freaking hate, imagine how much money you can make doing something you love. I mean, honest to God, like you're miserable at it. I look at my 15-year-old, Ryan, who I lovingly refer to as Ferris Bueller. That is who I'm raising, is Ferris Bueller. And his personality change between school days and non-school days is something that should be documented (laughs) i mean he is we've had some snow days lately Mm -hmm. the kid could not be more helpful more congenial more amazing on a snow day versus a school day 
I mean, you would think he was Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, it's like you just can't even believe the d- difference. Homicidal rage versus happy-go-lucky. And and I was saying to my husband the other day that there are so many people, I was one of them, who are in jobs like that. As much as he hates school, there are people spending their lives in professions they hate thinking that that's what they're supposed to do because work is hard. Mm -hmm. That's why they call it a job. And, you know, I, I am of the mindset and have proven to myself and my clients as well that you really can't, you may re have to redefine your definition of success for a little while while you're building something new, but there's no comparison. There's no comparison to what you could do coming from a place of happiness and love versus fear and anger and obligation. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't it important that when you're going on to this other thing that you're trying to create that you need it, like you said earlier, clean up areas because you don't want to come from a place of fear or, or a lack mentality, but get in a better feeling state as you go into creating something else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, couples therapists will say, you know what, you can leave this marriage, but you're going to bring the same issues with you mm-hmm. to the next relationship mm-hmm. if you don't just go ahead and work on this now. And it's so true. It's the same. You know, I have clients who say, I'm just going to move across the country. You know, they think a geographic change is the solution and I'm like you'll still be there when you unpack (laughs) (laughs) you know it'll still be you uh you might have a better view and that's great but that's gonna wear off and you'll still be you and so yeah I mean any kind of transition that you're making you've got to do the work on what's going on with you so that you don't carry the same mentality the same issues forward and so um, one of the things I want to go back to with is what you said about your son, how you call him the Ferris Bueller, right? And for, yeah. those, for, for those of us who are friends with you on Facebook, we see that there is the, what most people would call the struggle with the, the stuff that their kids are going through, their teens are going through. But is by you calling it the Ferris Bueller, kind of making it so that it's like bettering the situation? <laughs> well, I think that... So you can be in a compassionate place with him. Yes. I think that I have been able to, over the past couple of years, really step back and let go of my attachment and needing to control him Mm -hmm. and that he is successful. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it has not been easy, but. Ferris Bueller, it's like everybody sees that movie and everybody roots for Ferris. They love Ferris. <laughs> and everybody who is not parenting Ryan Hyatt is like, oh, my God, he's awesome. It's like, yeah, you take the calls from the school. Um, <laughs> and so it is, I call him that lovingly because it is an appreciation for how a he is at recognizing how ridiculous our structure in education is. Mm-hmm. Um, however, 
this is the structure that he is choosing to operate within because we've homeschooled and he hated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's choosing to opt into that structure. And so if you want to operate within that structure, structure, there are certain guidelines that are in place. Um, and so I can appreciate that when he graduates from that structure, Ferris is going to do amazing things. But for right now, there's a whole lot of shenanigans going on. I mean, I have such a book I could write just up until age 15. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be by the time he's a senior. But what I have done is, is really released my need to control it. Mm-hmm. And I can love him. I think what's bubbled up more is my just intense love and appreciation for the force that he is and the energy that he brings. And if he gets himself into a bind, if he fails a class, if he fails his freshman year, well, he's going to learn something, isn't he? <laughs> but, and then that, but that's vulnerable, right? Because there's going to be the parents who are going to, who are going to have judgments. You, you know, mm-hmm. we get afraid of, you know, our kids failing, even, even if we understand it intellectually, even if we live it, because there can be fear, but it takes courage to be vulnerable, doesn't it? It sure does. And, and I recently wrote a blog about this um, called why I'm letting my son flunk high school. And it actually has been my most shared blog and newsletter ever. And I think part of the reason is, is that parents, things have changed from the time we were in school to now. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is by that is that parents have become so much more invested in what their kids are doing in school. I mean, they're doing science projects for their kids and (laughs) spoon feeding them and in helicopter parenting. And it has just become this ridiculousness. And so because we're so tied to what our kids are doing and whether they're successful or not, it's, it's an image thing too. And so for me to say, send out a blog that's like, Hey, I'm fine. If he flunks high school, people are like, what? and so half of the readership or people who see that are, or parents who read that are like, Oh my God, thank God. I'm so tired of doing my kids homework Mm -hmm. and then the other half of the parents are like well what do you mean I mean he's got to be successful he's a smart boy you can't just drop the ball on him Mm -hmm. as if it's my job (laughs) and and so everybody has their own um belief system around what it means to be a good parent but yeah I mean it is it it was very much allowing myself to be vulnerable and say hey here's what's up and saying to his teachers, don't email me about his missing assignments. Tell him. <laughs> I will not return your call or email you back if it's about missing assignments. Mm-hmm. This is on him. Because if he flunks, he flunks. He's going to have to deal with the consequences of that. I know. I mean, and, and what has happened is that all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, it's taken him a little bit of time to get it. But he's like, wow, she's serious. She's not going to email my teachers back. She's not going to call them for me. She's not going to cover for me. 
Mm-hmm. She's not going to look online at what my missing assignments are and remind me. And I'm not going to run books up to him that he's forgotten. I'm not going to sign stuff late. I'm not doing any of that. If you need a tutor, great. I will get you a tutor. If you want me to proofread something, absolutely. I'm your woman. Like, I will help you, but I'm not doing anything for you. And so so his grades have come up. His <laughs> grades have come up. And they're not perfect. I mean, I could we could do a whole show on how is it that the most physically fit athlete in school flunks PE? How is that? Please tell me. (laughs) But you know what? I'm like, guess you get to take PE again. You love it so much. (laughs) Who likes PE, Karen? (laughs) I'll tell you who. Ferris Bueller does. Well, when you don't agree with the system in place, you flunk PE. That's exactly right. When you refuse to dress out because you think it's fine to work out in your uniform, you flunk PE. That's how you flunk PE. (sighs) (laughs) Well, so, you know, this gives, I think, the listeners a lot of hope because, you know, in the beginning I said, if if this is possible for you, what is possible for them? So for somebody who used to be a control week work a control freak, workaholic, right? Even in this example of letting go of your son and his grades coming up and then him having to take personal responsibility or the fact that yes, you made money in a job that you hated and a lot of money and the fear, the automatic fear that people have is well if I go do something I love, I'm going to make less, right? Cuz we have this correlation of something we hate, of course we're going to get paid for well versus something we love, but you have evidence here that no, you can make a lot of money, if not more. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, my first year in, in um, practice as a coach, you know, I had this goal that I wanted to match. All I wanted to do was match my real estate income. And within like 18 months, I did. And it was interesting to watch my overachiever self continue to go, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I had to really redefine for myself, like, why? Like, wh- how much money do I make and why do I want to make that? Instead of just more, 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 more. But mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, you can, if you can align what you're passionate about with your mindset, anything is possible. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being a guest today. It was fun to talk to you again. Hey, thanks for having me, Corinne. Absolutely. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Susan Hyatt. She is the author of Create Your Own Luck, and I will have links to the blog post and to her new Life is Delicious TV on the interview page. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. 
I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.